Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelen Zinzi, Tabiso Dohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Malawans await results of yesterday's presidential elections and Uganda's Journalists Association challenges suspension of over 39 journalists. In economics news, Zimbabwe hikes diesel and petrol prices by up to 47%. And in sports news, South Africa announces 23-man squad for the Kasafa Cup. But first up, the news with Onel Nzinzi. Thank you, Lulu. Parliament in South Africa has released the order of proceedings that will take place during the first sitting of the National Assembly on Wednesday. 400 designated members will be sworn in as members of Parliament by Chief Justice Mkhoeng Mkhoeng. Mercedes Percent has more. According to the order of the day, the Chief Justice will open proceedings of the House at 10.30. This will be followed by swearing in members in groups of 10 who will be taking an oath or an affirmation. After the swearing in of MPs, Mohueng will call for nominations of candidates for the election of the Speaker. If there are more than one nomination, the election will be conducted through the use of a secret ballot. After the election of the Speaker, she will preside over the election of the Deputy. If there is more than one nomination for the position of Deputy Speaker, the same secret ballot voting procedure will be done. The order of the day further states that the House will adjourn at lunchtime and reconvene at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the Chief Justice will preside over the election of the President. Gabon President Ali Bongo has fired Vice President Pierre Claver Maganga and Minister of State of for Forest and the Envi- Environment Guy Bedrand Mapango. The two were dismissed in a government statement posted on social media. In recent days, the two personalities had been questioned by Prime Minister Julian Konge Bekale for their respective roles in the suspected precious wood scandal. They have, however, strongly denied complicity in the affair, which the president has vowed to punish all perpetrators. South Africa will extradite former Mozambique Finance Minister Manuel Chang, who has been held since December on a United States arrest warrant to face corruption charges. Justice Minister Michael Masuta says Chang will be extradited to stand trial for his alleged offences. 63-year-old Chang was arrested at the O.R. Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg in December at the request of U.S. authorities over alleged involvement in fraudulent loans 
two Mozambique state firms worth $2 billion. Masuta has said the interest for justice will be best served by granting the request made by the Republic of Mozambique. Mozambique has accused Chang of receiving $17 million in kickbacks in a scam which creamed off hundreds of millions. Vote counting is started in what has been described as one of Malawi's most unpredictable presidential elections. There were no significant reports of violence and the election appeared to be well organized. There are seven candidates, but three are seen as having a realistic chance. President Peter Mutarika is running for a second term, but he is being challenged by his own vice president, Saulus Chilima, and a third candidate, Lazarus Chakwera, the winning candidate just needs to get the largest share of the votes cost rather than more than 50%. Mutarika won the last election in 2014 with just over 36%. The Southern African country returned to multi-party elections in 1994 after 30 years of authoritarian rule. And lastly, there's been a range of negative responses to a speech by the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, in which she offers members of Parliament what she called one last chance to deliver Brexit by approving her EU withdrawal bill. But pro-Brexit leader, the Northern Ireland DUP and the opposition Labour Party criticised the strategy. The BBC's Chris Masson. It's become a painful ritual of a tortuous process. The Prime Minister unveils a vision for Brexit and MPs queue up to demolish it in the House of Commons. Today it looks like it's going to happen again. If Theresa May's speech yesterday sought to attract switchers and turn sceptics into endorsers, it failed. Worse than that for Downing Street, some Conservatives who backed the plan when it was last voted on now say they'll reject it. But those around the Prime Minister insist they are not willing to give up, at least yet. They are determined her plan will be put to Parliament in around a fortnight's time. Channel Africa News, I am Onelian Zinzi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shade Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shade Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Election officials in Malawi have started counting votes in what has been described as one of the country's most unpredictable presidential elections. 
There were no significant reports of violence yesterday and the election appeared to be well organized. There are seven candidates but three are seen as having a realistic chance. The winning candidate just needs to get the largest share of the votes cast rather than more than 50%. Channel Africa's George Mango reports from Blantyre. People are vehemently waiting to know at least, you know, to have a gist of who is winning and in which area. And that is why people are just, you know, listening to different radio stations. They are watching TV stations because these TV stations and radio stations were accredited by the Malawi Electoral Commission to beam live the proceedings in terms of the voting aspect. And now we are talking about the counting aspect. Uh, With me this morning is this gentleman who is right in the commercial capital, Blantyre, close to the main tally center at the Commercial Hall, vehemently waiting for the outcome. Uh, What's your name? And then uh, how do you look at the vote counting itself? I'm Alan Juma. We are after the results today because, you know, the the delays that they are they are making we don't we don't need to to make the delays of the results in 2014 we had the results as soon as they they made it so what we want is quick results to be out as early as possible the process itself was very fast i didn't spend more time on the queue and um, i've seen some improvement in the arrangements of how the elections were conducted yesterday i did cast my vote i'm one of the people that wants uh, some change to this country we need a, a good leader who can govern us who take us far who bring more developments and uh, yes we are happy that we did cast our voice. I, I could see some many, many people came as early as 6 o'clock in the morning yesterday and uh, we are happy that uh, things uh, went well yesterday and uh, we're just expecting that everything will be okay after the results. I, I expect everyone to accept the results. Whoever wins will govern us. I chose the best candidate to learn us. So, uh, so today we are eagerly waiting for these results since we casted yesterday and the program of casting went very well and we didn't stay longer at the polling station. We are waiting for Meg to give us the official results because others are fear to open the shops so we should beg the Meg to release the results very fast. Maybe if they can say for three days, not seven days. And that's one of the critical issues that is being spoken, you know, publicly that uh, most of the shops indeed, as I did work in uh, various, you know, shops, they were closed down yesterday. Why? Because of fear of the unknown in terms of how or who is leading in each and every constituency or on the presidential position. Why? Because, you know, the anticipation is that uh, come Friday or Saturday, somebody else will be made known to the public that he or she is leading be it on a presidential position be it on a parliamentary position or local uh, councillorship position across the board in terms of uh, the tallies then that's something else that definitely will hint most on the business sector my expectation that once this uh, gets to normality every voting gist that is there people must go back to their business as usual so, so, because the economic part of it is affected and and then uh, we need to come back to 
to, to our normal business as usual. So I hope make will fasten this and uh, we'll have uh, who will lead us as soon as possible. From Blantyre at the Mentale Center, this is George Mhango reporting for Channel Africa. Uganda Journalists Association has filed a case in a Kampala court challenging the suspension of 39 journalists for providing what the country's Communication Commission described as special, extensive, sensational live coverage of popular pop star and opposition politician Bobby Wine. Channel Africa's James Shimangula has more. Earlier this month, Uganda's Communication Commission delivered a letter to managers of seven radio and television stations in the country ordering them to suspend 39 local journalists for giving what it called special extensive sensational live coverage to prominent pop star and controversial position politician Bobby Wine. At the time, Bobby Wine had appeared via video link before a Kampala magistrate where he denied charges of incitement to violence. The Communication Commission said the coverage was misrepresentation of information, views, facts and events that had happened and that such coverage was likely to mislead or cause alarm to members of the public. In addition to that, the commission alleged that the live coverage had spread extremist messages to people of Uganda. But the 39 journalists denied the communication commission's allegation. Bobby Wine's appearance in court was preceded by his arrest by Ugandan police outside a Kampala police station. During the arrest, Bobby Wine was involved in a scuffle with the policemen as they arrested him. Now, let us flash back to the day of the scuffle and hear what Bobby Wine told the police. You called me to the police, okay? Please escort me and lead me to the police. That was Bobby Wine speaking shortly after he was involved in a scuffle with the policemen. Now, back to the 39 journalists that the country's communication commission ordered that they must be suspended for spreading sensational news. Indeed, the journalists were suspended by managers of their working places. As they remain suspended, Uganda's journalists association has filed a case in a Kampala court challenging the Communication Commission's order. Bashir Kazibwe, president of the Journalists Association, explains why he has gone to a Kampala court. We are before courts to challenge the laws that they are using because there is freedom of speech and access to information as enshrined in the Uganda Constitution. The Uganda Communications Commission doesn't have the right whatsoever. Their role does not go in as far as employing and terminating people that are working. Expounding on the decision that the association made to file a case in court, Kazibwe said... Once we keep quiet as an association, we believe it's going to be a stepping stone by the UCC to further act as the government is working stick, which we cannot accept. They are not independent. They are working on the orders of the government of Uganda, which wants to keep Ugandans away from getting the facts as they come in. That was Bashir Kazibwe, president of the Journalists Association in Uganda. Ibrahim Bossa, spokesman for Uganda's Communication Commission, asserts that what we are seeing now in the East African nation is imbalanced coverage of news about Bobby Wine. What we are seeing right now, I think because of the heavy dose of politics that has come in, people are giving news that is subjective, that is unbalanced. Now, when we realize this coming in, we realize that on the route to 2021, 
we may have some challenges unless we actually come in as a regulator and say, wait guys, wait guys, you are doing a great job, but make sure that they are rules of the game. Bosa is referring to the arrest of Bobby Wine and his arraignment in court. Be that as it may, the on and off roughing of Bobby Wine and his scuffling with the uniformed and ununiformed security men has not diminished the political spirit of the prominent pop star and controversial politician. Bobby Wine says he and his colleagues in the opposition will challenge President Yoweri Museveni during the 2021 presidential election. We are challenging for the presidency in the next presidential election that is two years away. That was renowned Ugandan musician and controversial lawmaker Bobby Wine reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyula. Channel Africa, together with Radio 2000 and the South African Broadcasting Corporation, is celebrating Africa Day at the SABC in Auckland Park on the 24th of May 2019, between 900 and 1500 Central African time, when 15 African state embassies showcase the best in their country's culture through food, music and fashion. Tune into www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV802 and be part of the celebration on Gateway to Africa's live broadcast from 11 till 12 Central African time. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. The Democratic Republic of Congo's newly appointed Prime Minister, Ilunga Ilungamba, has promised to spare no efforts to better the lives of ordinary citizens through transparency and good governance. The new Prime Minister has his work cut out for him. He must form a cabinet which will satisfy everyone, including his own FCC alliance of more than 18 political parties. Januel Bamweza reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo has taken four months moving affairs under Bruno Chibala, the Prime Minister from the previous regime. It's only on Monday that Chibala handed his government resignation letter to President Felix Tshisekedi, who accepted it. And few hours after, Mr. President spokesperson Kasongomema Yamba Yamba announced the appointment of a new Prime Minister. The newly appointed Prime Minister, Professor Sylvester Ilunga Ilungamba, is a 33-year-old economist from the Kinshasa University. He's not a newcomer in politics as he has been working under former dictator Joseph Desiree Mobutu. Professor Ilungamba is full of experience as he has been four times deputy minister and minister for two times including both plan and finance ministries and up to his appointment he was the general director of the DRC National Railway Society and indeed people here in the Democratic Republic of Congo expect more from him Professor Ilunga Ilungamba told the media he'll do his best to improve the Congolese life conditions. 
considère ma nomination comme une lourde. I look at my appointment as a heavy responsibility at this crucial moment of our country's history and I promise to mobilize all my capacities to contribute to the improvement of Congolese life conditions by working in transparency and good governance. Et la bonne gouvernance. It has taken so long for President Felix Tshisekedi to appoint a prime minister due to a difficult agreement between his coalition, the CAP Pulo Shanshima, well known as Cash, and former President Joseph Kabila's coalition, the Common Front for the Congo, well known as FCC. According to the DRC constitution, the head of state has to appoint a prime minister from the parliamentary majority and in this case, it's indeed former President Kabila's FCC that has the majority with more than 350 MPs out of the 500 MPs sitting in the National Assembly. The new prime minister is then from the consensus between Cash and FCC. Most of analysts here believe Professor Sylvester Ilunga Ilungamba has what it takes due to his political experience. One of the analysts is Professor Peter Kerry from the Kinshasa University. He believes Ilungamba's appointment was not a surprise. That name was already considered all over the place. It was in the social media. So it's not a surprise. There is all the fact that there was a to fatigue, you know, from the people because we have been waiting for this appointment for quite a while. That's why the announcement does not really surprise or have any particular impact on uh, the political environment as a whole in the country. Uh, having said that, it's true that this appointment will, will at least allow the government to start functioning. That will allow this country to start moving because there was a total stagnation since the country has been waiting for the Prime Minister. And uh, it is true that uh, the Professor Ilunga Ilunga has experience for having worked in the Mobutu and now in the Tshisekedi regime. There is a lot of expectation. We'll see how he does as long as he's allowed to act. People here in the Democratic Republic of Congo have all their eyes turned to the newly appointed Prime Minister as they have been facing different problems for long. Professor Ilunkamba has less than a month to announce his government in order to move on and address the DRC people's issues including salaries improvement, security, health care, education and more. The civil society has said it's optimistic but remains prudent as it was not really satisfied the way Ilunkamba has managed the National Railway Society. Jonas Chiombela is the coordinator of the new civil society. Nous avons salué cette nomination du premier ministre. We've saluted the prime minister's appointment with more prudence since the new prime minister has mismanaged the national railway that remains down. We are then afraid the republic might face a similar situation. But as he's from a consensus, there is hope, but really within the civil society, we remain prudent. The next step is now for Professor Sylvester Ilunga Ilungamba to put in place a team to work with. The new government expected in less than a month will include ministers from both coalitions, Cash and FCC. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
Libya is on the verge of a civil war that could potentially lead to an all-against-all state of chaos or partition of the country. That was a sobering message delivered to the United Nations Security Council by the Secretary General Special Representative to Libya, who has spearheaded political dialogue and the now teetering peace process in that country. Hassan Salame also warned that instability in the country and the security vacuum in some parts is being exposed exploited by terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, while the African Union has warned that the deteriorating situation is being further exacerbated by external interference, including the provision of weapons and violation of an arms embargo. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The United Nations says there are now 460 dead, 2,400 injured and over 75,000 displaced, 48 days since the start of the attack on Tripoli's UN-backed government of national accord by renegade commander Khalifa Haftar's self-proclaimed Libya National Army. A special representative, Ghassan Salame, explained. The violence on the outskirts of Tripoli is just the start of a long and bloody war on the southern shores of the Mediterranean, imperiling the security of Libya's immediate neighbors and the wider Mediterranean region. The security vacuum created by the withdrawal of many of General Haftar's troops from the south, coupled with the focus of the Western forces on the defense of the capital, is already being exploited by Daesh and by Al-Qaeda. In the south of Libya, the black flags of Daesh are appearing. And I am dismayed to report that since April 4th, there have been four separate Daesh attacks in the south of Libya. Salame's briefing to council, in which he literally sounded at times weary and deflated, explained that arms were pouring into the country and to all sides, warning that this was a blatant breach of the council's arms embargo and that in the absence of robust enforcement, the said embargo risked becoming a cynical joke. He said a full civil war was not inevitable, but may occur by the will of some and the inaction of others. Without the international and regional stakeholders recognizing that Libya is not a prize for the strongest, but a country of six and a half million people who deserve peace and the right to collectively determine their own path forward, the future of Libya will be bleak. I fear that without immediate action to stop the flow of arms and pressure on Libyan parties to the conflict to enable a return to serious dialogue, Libya will descend into civil war, which could potentially lead to a Hobbesian, all-against-all state of chaos or partition of the country. The African Union said it was working to get the parties back to a political dialogue through a peace forum to be hosted in Addis Ababa. AU Commissioner for Peace and Security, Smile Chergi. There is an imperative to recognize the situation in Libya is deteriorating in an alarming rate. This underscores the need for an immediate ceasefire agreement and secure safe corridors for the provisions of humanitarian assistance. The current situation has had devastating effects on the African migrants, especially those in detention centers in Tripoli, where there are reports that some of them have been used as human shields and forcing them to join the fighting. South Africa, for its part, called for the Council to support all efforts to bring about a peaceful settlement through the ongoing efforts of the African Union, its Peace and Security Council and the AU High-Level Committee on Libya, 
diplomat Ayanda Bekwa. We reiterate that all parties and stakeholders must commit their efforts towards building a durable peace in Libya on, on the basis of inclusive political dialogue. We particularly urge the parties to commit fully to the ceasefire agreement reached in September 2018 and to avoid any further escalation of violence. A United Kingdom draft resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire has stalled in the council for weeks. I'm Sherman Bryspees in New York. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa, a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. South Africa's Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng says it is important that members of parliament are sworn in before they take office. He was speaking in a special interview with the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Lula Mamatya reports. Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng says he thinks that South Africans have never been given an opportunity to internalize taking oath and also appreciate its significance. He has appealed to the media to assist in creating awareness about the importance of taking oath. That is why even in courts you find people before they can begin to give evidence taking an oath or affirming that they will tell the truth, nothing else but the truth. And the next thing they say, it's a lie. Why? To them an oath is just an inconsequential ritual that you must go through before you can begin to speak. The Chief Justice also says it's not for him to judge some of the new MPs that will be sworn in, especially those who have been implicated in wrongdoing. He says as the judges... They don't rely on what they read on newspapers or hear on television or radio. My responsibility now is just to check. Have the constitutional requirements for becoming a member of parliament or provincial legislature been met? If the answer is yes, then I administer the oath of affirmation. The other areas of concerns that you are alluding to resort elsewhere. That is why we have separation of powers. He adds that the judiciary has a healthy relationship with Parliament. Mukhweng says they are always alert not to encroach on the terrain of other arms of government. Our relationships are healthy and the, the hygiene that pervades our relationship becomes manifest when there are occasional tensions. When there is never any semblance of tension, especially between the judiciary and the executive and, and the legislature, you must know somebody's not doing their work. There is bound to be acceptable tension between the three arms. Occasionally we do have that kind of tension. I think it, it, it speaks well of the vibrancy of our constitutional democracy. Mukhweng will preside over the swearing-in of the new 400 MPs of the National Assembly on Wednesday and the NCOP on Thursday, Lula Mamaika in Parliament. Our headlines up next with Onelin Zinzi.
Six people have died and 200 injured in a civil unrest in the Indonesian capital after the election commission confirmed President Joko Widodo had won last month's election. The president of Gabon, Ali Bongo, fires his vice president and his forestry minister and South Africa to extradite former Mozambique finance minister Manuel Chang. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelinsinzi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's Chief Justice Mukhweng Mukhweng will today swear in 400 members of parliament, including incumbent President Sul Ramaphosa, ahead of the inauguration this Saturday. The ruling African National Congress has had a busy week this week as it prepares its members for the 6th National Assembly. Many were surprised when former Speaker of the National Assembly, Balek Ambete, who presided over the 5th Parliament, was replaced by former Chair of the National Council of Provinces, Tandi Mudise. Mbete, along with former Minister Malusi Gigaba, have since withdrawn their names as MPs. Questions have been raised about former Minister Nomvula Mukonyani's selection as Chair of Chairs. And to talk to us more on this, we're joined on the line by a political analyst, Professor Dingiko Maluleke. Prof, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. What a pleasure to speak to you and to your listeners on this platform. Thank you, Prof. Now, Prof, what do you make of the former Speaker, Balekambete, and Gigaba, and the former Minister, Malusi Gigaba's withdrawal from the National Assembly? It's difficult to say uh, why they withdrew. And I also think we have to be careful not to lump them under the same uh, you know, cloud, as it were, because uh, in as much as um, Balekambete has had a tough time in Parliament, thanks to the EFF and thanks to the presidency, the tumultuous uh, presidency of uh, uh, former President Jacob Zuma, I don't think that she has uh, any any blight on her name or scandal uh, that she. She, she leaves Parliament with. And so her case must not be conflated with that of uh, Malusi Gigaba, who's, uh, you know, who has a court uh, finding against him that is very adverse. Uh, so the two are different, but it seems to me that they may have been spoken to, uh, and maybe they are not the only ones spoken to uh, in that sense but they are the, the, the ones who have opted for this option of uh, not going uh, forward in Parliament. The ANC has a history of not uh, discarding uh, their, their members, including those who, who have done wrong, unfortunately. So um, chances are they will re-emerge and they will be given other jobs to do uh, elsewhere. But uh, Malusi Gigaba makes the job of the president in terms of appointing his cabinet quite easy because since he's no longer a member of parliament, he doesn't qualify to be in cabinet. 
Now, Prof, there's a lot of confusion or misunderstanding of how um, ANC members of parliament are selected and uh, the fact that the role of the branches within the African National Congress play a very big role in who is sent through to represent them as the African National Congress branches in parliament. Do you think that uh, as South Africans, we, we, we're, quite, we're not understanding exactly how the process works? No, I, I mean, at its simplest level, we do understand how it works. I mean, we do understand as citizens, uh, I think, uh, that we, we, we don't have ultimate authority uh, as to who gets onto the list and who doesn't get onto the list. That uh, branches may make their proposals, which they do, uh, but ultimately it is the party hacks, you know, the chiefs of the party who sit down in some smoke-filled room and, and compile a list, uh, which they then sent to the IEC and which is later sent uh, uh, to, to, to the judge president. So the electoral system in South Africa is such that the power to decide who goes to parliament and who doesn't go doesn't lie with the citizens. It's built into the system. By the time we go to vote, those decisions have already been made on our behalf. Uh, it's not just ANC members, but non-ANC members who vote for the ANC also have no real uh, uh, input until we change our electoral system. I think we understand that pretty well. Now, Prof, a very strong choice uh, with uh, Tandi Mudise um, becoming the national, the, the speaker of uh, the National Assembly. And, uh, you know, uh, your take on, on her in this role. And we've seen, uh, you know, in some instances where she's called, um, you know, parliamentarians to order. Do you think that uh, with uh, the 44 strong economic freedom fighters now in parliament and as the opposition, are we likely to see the same ruckus that we saw with uh, the former speaker, Balegambete, or do you think that Tandi Mudise will have a stronger hold on, the, on this? The, the job of speaker has, has become a tough one, and, it, and that is not about to change. It, it became a very difficult job to hold down uh, since the EFF uh, moved to parliament. But, you know, that's one way of looking at it. You could argue that that job became difficult uh, in the past uh, 10 years when President Jacob Zuma was in charge because there was so much, uh, there was so much scandal around him and, and so much issues around him that, that Parliament, the public protector, and the courts of the land uh, had to deal with. And, and that had a knock-on effect on the, on the difficulty of the job of being speaker. So that job um, has, has bid farewell to innocence. It's no longer an innocent job uh, in, in the sense that it might have, have been with uh, the first uh, Speaker of Parliament uh, in, in 1994. Uh, it, it is no longer innocent. It is very tough. It will be tough for, for Tandem Mudise. But Tandem Mudise, uh, in Tandem Mudise, they have found an excellent choice. I think she is excellently prepared for this, having been uh, chairing the NCAOP and having co-chaired uh, with Balekambete a few times. She has the authority, she has the experience, she is and has been everything that any main leader of the ANC has been. So I, I, I can't fault her at all.
And uh, the chair of chairs, which is former minister Nomvula Mukonyane, what's your take on her role? And uh, you mentioned something earlier, the fact that uh, some people might have been spoken to or discussions had taken place before uh, the announcements of, uh, you know, the, the National Assembly um, uh, key positions and uh, going forward to the ministerial positions. Should we expect any surprises? Well, I, I don't think we should. Look, uh, uh, let me start with uh, Mokonyane. I think that Mokonyane is uh, the reason she is in that position, which is quite an influential position because basically she is the, the, the she has oversight over the, the people who chair portfolio committees. Uh, and portfolio committees are the bosses of uh, cabinet uh, and, and departments, uh, as it were. So it's quite an important role that has been given to her. But I don't think we should see her survival, in inverted commas, in Parliament as something that is due to her personally uh, or due to her own personal characteristics and, and, and influence in the ANC. I think we must understand her survival in the context of the larger politics within the ANC the, 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 the delicate dance that Cyril Ramaphosa will have to, to perform uh, between Lutuli House and the union buildings. It's a very delicate dance, and if he misses a step, uh, what happens to Tabumbeki and what happened to Jacob Zuma could also happen to him. So I think he's trying to balance out uh, those questions and to to manage the, the differences within the ANC. Who knows what will happen to, to Nombula Mukonyane once the, the Zondo Commission pronounces uh, its final findings, seeing that uh, her name has been flagged a few times the likes of Agriti. So I, 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 I do expect that um, she certainly won't be in the cabinet. Uh, I doubt it, but Tabile Zamini will be in the cabinet. But I don't want to, to be too sure about that. Because uh, being president of the country, uh, when you are also ANC president, uh, means that you have to listen to the ANC. And the ANC has in recent years, especially the NEC, asserted their right to help the president appoint cabinets, to help the president appoint people in crucial positions. In terms of the inauguration, what's your take on, um, you know, the cost-saving measures that were that were taken, moving from the union buildings to um, Loftus Fersfield Stadium, and it is open to the public, um, but you know, to a certain degree. Yeah, look, I think presidential inaugurations uh, are built into our version of democracy. You could argue that they are built into many versions of democracies in the world today. They, 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 they can't be avoided. They, they are part of the package. Once you choose this version of democracy, you are going to have presidential inaugurations. And in a sense, they are an important moment. They are an important ceremony in the life of a nation. Uh, it's a kind of... Uh, ritual that we go through every five years to renew our, our, our bond and to perform our citizenship, as it were, uh, in, in, in that ceremony. So I don't think they can be avoided. Uh, of course, the question you are asking me is, you know, should they be costing us this much? 
I hear about the savings that are being made. We are, it is, we are told that uh, 100 million will be saved. But I will only believe what will be saved after the ceremony, not before the ceremony, because no one really knows how much it will cost uh, until the costs uh, uh, have been paid. And whether a hundred million uh, saving offsets the fact that we are going to pay a hundred and fifty million uh, is another question. It's a little bit like going into pet stores, and they tell you that uh, this shirt was. Uh, 200 rands, and now it is only 199. And they make you believe you are saving, but they're actually still asking you to pay. And the taxpayers <laughs> are paying for this, you know. So I, 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 I think we, we, we probably have to pay, but do we have to pay this much? I think that we, you know, the, 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 between the Ramaphosa approach and the President Magafuli approach in, 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 uh, in Tanzania, uh, we could find a middle point. Because I can tell you, if Magufuli was the president, he would have said, let's just do this uh, in, in a small room and, and, and televise it, let's save the money. Mm. Now, Prof, very quickly, we have run out of time, but I have to ask, with the significance of uh, the inauguration taking place on uh, Africa Day, um, you know, the importance of that and, and uh, what has come out from that, what's your take on that? I think it's a very, symbolically, it's a very significant uh, coincidence of, of both, uh, both, both, both things because uh, Africa Day uh, remains a very emotional day for many, many Africans because for all the declarations of independence that we have seen since 1958 when Ghana uh, became independent, there are still a lot of problems in many African countries. So African democracies uh, continue to struggle. And so the, this occasion is an important one for, for pause and for reflection. Uh, and I hope that uh, President Ramaphosa will not miss the opportunity uh, to reflect on that on Saturday. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you. That was uh, Professor Diniko Maluleke, a South African political analyst with the University of Pretoria, joining us on the line. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. More than 150 million people are gaining access to electricity every year, reducing the ranks of those who live without power. That's according to a recent report by the World Bank. In the report, the World Bank says, however, this is not enough to meet global development goals set in 2015. Marisa Simoes has more. In 2015, all United Nations member states adopted 17 goals for sustainable development by 2030 in areas such as education, climate, gender equality and access to energy. The goals call for delivering universal access to energy, increasing the use of renewable energy and doubling the pace of gains in efficiency, among other objectives. But with 11 years to go, according to the report released, signs still point to failure. Marisa Samoes, SABC News, Johannesburg. 
For the second time in four months, authorities in Zimbabwe have raised the price of fuel. In January this year, there were violent protests in the country's biggest cities when petrol prices more than doubled, making them the most expensive in the world. This time around, prices have been hiked by up a further 50%. Authorities say they have simply removed the fuel subsidies as Zimbabwe struggles to source foreign currency to pay for fuel and electricity imports. A litre of petrol or diesel will now cost over 20 South African rand a litre in Zimbabwe, compared to over 16 rand for petrol in South Africa, and close to 15 rand for diesel. The planned annual Namibia International Engineering Week is set to create a platform for Namibian investors and innovators to showcase their projects and ideas to investors. This is according to Charles Mukaso president of the Namibian Society of Engineers, about the planned engineering week. The second engineering week will be held at the Namibia University of Science and Technology Venthook campus from the 2nd to the 7th of September 2019. The event, themed Invent and Innovate, Dream It, Build It, is aimed to promote and advance innovation and creativeness among engineers, scientists and mathematicians in Africa. African policymakers, regional economic communities, African business leaders and others are set to hold a two-day policy dialogue in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia to map out a strategy for successful implementation of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. The May 27th to the 28th policy dialogue is co-organized by the AU and the Coalition for Dialogue on Africa a 10-year-old development platform for discussions and reflections for stakeholders to map out a strategy for implementation of trade agreement and therefore lead to the realization of Africa's aspiration, enunciated in Agenda 2063. Agenda 2063 is Africa's blueprint and master plan for transforming the continent into the global powerhouse of the future. Egypt's central bank is expected to keep interest rates steady at its meeting on Thursday, with most analysts saying a cut is unlikely ahead of fuel price increases due this summer. 11 out of 14 economists appalled by Reuters said the Central Bank of Egypt's Monetary Policy Committee was unlikely to change its overnight rates, with deposits at 15.75% and lending at 16.75%. Two analysts predicted the CBE would trim its key rates about 50 basis points and one expected a cut of 100 basis points. The US dollar is trading at 358.41 Nigerian Naira, 10.62 Botswana Pula, 99.79 Kenyan Shilling and 13.79 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.7 Brazilian roll. 6443 Russian ruble, 6967 Indian rupee, 690 Chinese yuan, and 1440 to the South African rand. It's also trading at, uh, now this is gold, $1,273. Platinum, $812 per ounce. So the price of Brent crude oil is at $71.77 a barrel. Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
In this hour, we begin with cricket news. In what is a crunch match for the Proteus women, assistant coach Salig Nagadin believes the team must beg themselves to change a few aspects of their game to get back into the series ahead of the fourth women's T20 international against Pakistan in Benoni, east of Johannesburg today. The encounter serves as an opportunity for South Africa to level the series following their four-wicket loss in the third T20 in Peter Marisbeck in Guazul Natal province at the weekend, which saw the touring side take a 2-1 lead. The fifth and the final T20 will take place at the same venue on the 23rd of May. French base attacker Keegan Dolly will play in the Bafana Bafana squad that will take part in the Kosafa Cup squad as part of the plan to get him ready for the African Cup of Nations in Egypt next month. Dodi will be part of the Wafana squad, which is predominantly made up of the national under-23 team players, as they also prepare for the AFCON under-23 championship qualifiers, which will resume in September. The under-23 national team coach David Nodwani uh, says the inclusion of Dodi is important for the whole of the team. As I mentioned already, that it's a joint venture project where we found a balance between uh, our preparation and Bafana Bafana's preparation for AFCON. Of course, Keegan Dolly, uh, we know his challenges with injuries throughout the season. Uh, so when we discussed with the coach, we agreed that let's afford him the opportunity to get more game time after having overcome his injury challenges. He's back to full fitness in his club. Uh, so we are happy to help Bafana Bafana in terms of the bigger picture, which is uh, Afcon preparation uh, for Coach Stuart Baxter. Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxham has more on Dolly and the upcoming tournaments. Keegan Dolly actually asked me himself if he could get more game time. He's played, he's played in four reserve games. His coach says he's 100% fit. So we're not taking a chance with him. We're just allowing him the opportunity to, to get that game time to bring up his sharpness. And to be fair, to allow David the opportunity to having a more senior player as a good example to some of the some of the younger players. We're hoping that in that way, and I'll, I'll go into a few of the other things that we are thinking, in that way we make a meaningful event of Kosafa, and I think it's an exciting team, the, the squad is exciting. We're investing international game time into the right type of players. It's not without its value for the preparation for, for AFCON. In rugby news, when the South Africans take on Japan in Pool A of the London Sevens on Saturday, the 29-year-old Franco Dupree will represent the Springbok Sevens team in 70th tournament in the World Series. More than any other player has done, the scrum half would feel like he's high up in the air, lifted to greater heights, as with statue or outside Twickenham in London. Dupree credited his feet to the blitz box over many seasons, who have lifted him to these record-breaking heights. And finally, motor racing, former Formula One chief executive Benny Ecclestone has paid tribute to Austrian Nicky Lauda, who has died at the age of 70 after battling declining health. Three-time Formula One world champion Lauda, regarded as one of the finest racers of all time and who later became a successful airline entrepreneur, died last night, speaking from Brazil. Ecclestone, who was in charge of Formula One from 1978 until 2017, said Lauda was a very special person who will be greatly missed. Lauda, who won two world championships in 1975 and 1977 with Ferrari and a third in 1984 with McLaren. Nicky was an exceptional person. After that original first accident, for him to come back from that, which he shouldn't have really done, he was given the fact that he wasn't going to make it. And he did 
drove again, drove and won the championship again. I mean, he just as very, was a very, very special person. So I miss him a lot, obviously. He knew what to say and what to say and when to say it. That's the Sport News, this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Malawians await result of yesterday's presidential election and Uganda Journalists Association challenge suspension of over 39 journalists. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magadza and Tutungobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Are taking us to the top of our folding news on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Moby Dixon featuring something Soweto with a song titled Abandu.